No idea what happened to her, but it's good to see you. We know what didn't happen, which is good. So, please turn in the Bible to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 to 9. I'll be reading Galatians 3, 6 through 9. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray. Oh, Father, may we be in this room, everyone, children of Abraham. May we know what it is to walk as He walked. To live as a frail sinner by the Holy Spirit, a life of faith by which He inherited Your promise and by which we will inherit the promise. So to that end, Father, help me unfold what You have given to us through the Apostle Paul to our minds and to our hearts to the glory of Jesus. Amen. 3,700 years ago, That's 1,700 years before Jesus was born. God intervened into the life of a sinful man. A pagan. His name was Abraham. And He gave him a promise. And what God promised Abraham 3,700 years ago has everything to do with, in this room today, your eternal destiny. Whether you are Abraham's descendant or not, has to do with whether you will be justified before God forever or justly condemned. Forever. So, we may want to know a little about Abraham. I don't want to assume. You know, today, the nation of Israel exists. Jews are scattered throughout the world even today. Where do they come from? Well, you, they're from their moms and their dads and back and back. And you finally get back to Abraham. That's where it starts. God called Abraham. And He gave a promise to him and through his descendants after him. And not all his children, but Isaac was the child of promise. And through Isaac, not all his children, but Jacob 
was the child of promise and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He wrestles with God. And Jacob, or Israel, had twelve sons. They are called the twelve tribes of Jacob or of Israel. Then they end up in Egypt and they accumulate a number over hundreds of years and find themselves finally in slavery under Pharaoh. And then God sends Moses to deliver Abraham's children, the children of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the twelve sons out of Egypt. Joshua brings them into the land that God promised 400 or more years earlier to Abraham. He's going to give it to them. And he brings them into the land, and we see them conquer the land. Then you got the book of Judges, and what's happening for the next 150 years or so. And then God gives them their first king, Saul. And then David, then Solomon. And then Solomon's son Rehoboam, where the kingdom is rent in two. There's a southern kingdom, and there's a northern kingdom, and Israel and Judah. Israel finally, after warnings through the prophets, through the prophets over a couple centuries, God says, that's it, it's done with, and He wipes them out, and never to be seen or heard from again. And finally, in the year 586 B.C., the same promise of God was fulfilled, if you don't walk according to My ways and trust in Me, I will send you off by the hands of others. And Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed their temple, took them away. And God mercifully, slowly brought them back into the land to rebuild a much lesser temple, and walls, and He gave prophets up until about 430 B.C. And He's silent. And so, the next 400 years of silence until an angel appears to Mary and to Zechariah. And the rest, as you say, is history. So turn to Genesis for a moment. just want to get you to feel for what we get in Genesis about Abraham. That's where his story is, and it starts in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred, in your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And... In you, Abraham, all the nations, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He gets the promise, he obeys. Flip over to chapter 15. Ten years later, chapter 15 of Genesis, start with verse 3. His wife, Sarah, has been barren, even in her young age, not bearing children. Not becoming pregnant. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household, one of his slaves, will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. 
your very own son shall be your heir. And God brought Abraham outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then the Lord said to him, So shall your offspring be. And get verse 6. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And then, later on, Abraham's 86 years old, and he has that big boo-boo with Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden, slave, and he gets a son, Ishmael, and then at age 99, no, Ishmael's not the promise, but through your wife, Sarah, will come the promise, Isaac, and then God gives Abraham the sign of this covenant between me, the Lord, and you, Abraham, and your offspring, the sign of circumcision of all the males in the family, and from then on out on the eighth day, 400 years later, he gives them the Mosaic Law. Okay? Alright. Jesus finally comes. Born under the law, a physical descendant of Abraham through David. Fulfills the law. He's the promised Messiah. He's crucified. He's raised from the dead. You, you, you got a descendant of Abraham named Paul and he hates this Christian doctrine. He tries to destroy it. He is the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He's, he's got all the signs of the, of the covenant. This is, and he's proud in it. And the doctrine of Jesus was a threat to him. He gets born again. Jesus appears to him. His entire eternity is turned upside down. And eventually God sends him, Jesus sends him particularly to preach this message of salvation, of the blessing of Abraham to non-Jews, to the Gentiles. And Paul does it. First missionary journey is to this whole region of Galatia, to all these towns and cities where he plants churches. And he tells them the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. What do we do? Believe. And they do. Churches are planted. He leaves. Other Christians from Jerusalem, Jewish Christians, know that's all Paul does. And they're angry. So when he's gone, they show up into those towns. And they say, okay, Paul gave you the goods on the Jewish Messiah. Jesus, and He's right about that, and you have to have faith in Him. But you do understand, Galatians, because I think Paul left this out, that He's the Jewish Messiah. He is how you get into the promise of Abraham. Do you understand that the promise is to Abraham's descendants? We have finally come to the realization that yes, those who were born non-Jews can get saved by Jesus, but not if you remain a non-Jew. 
You, you have to become a child of Abraham and have the marks of the covenant. Starting with circumcision. And so they would open the Bible. Okay, look, listen. As they open up this, the Genesis and they say, listen, you at the church of Derby or Lister, Iconium, chapter 17 of Genesis, verse 7 says, And I, the Lord, will establish My covenant between Me and you, Abraham, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. You have to be a child of Abraham. And you jump down a few verses it goes on to say, This is My covenant, Abraham, which you shall keep between Me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between Me the Lord and Abraham. Paul left that out because he was afraid of what you might think of him and it might be too much for you. Okay. Paul didn't leave it out because he was afraid. He left it out because Jesus told him, leave it out. It's not the sign of the covenant of those who are truly of Abraham on this side of the cross. And more than that, it was never the sign of those who were truly the children of Abraham before the cross. So, go back to Galatians for a moment. Let me just summarize last week, verses 1-5. through five. You foolish Galatians! Because this is how Paul started a letter too, right? He knows that this is what I just presented to you is essentially what the Judaizers are preaching. And they're listening. And Paul says, I am amazed that you're so quickly deserting God for a different Gospel. You foolish Galatians. And so last week he said, in essence, you were justified. Like, like Abraham. You were, you were made righteous by faith. You heard the mercy of the cross and you believed and you were sealed and justified. Do not go on to some other pathway now called works of the law and, and bring to yourself Jewish laws from Moses as if that's the way I will make sure I will attain final salvation. No! And then the connective word in Greek. Two words in English. It is by the hearing with faith. Just as Abraham. So let me start with verse 5 and hear him. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you. I want you to listen carefully. Not did He 
when I was there and you became a Christian, in verse 5, Paul's talking about sanctification. The ongoing process of those who have already been justified. Does He who supplies ongoingly the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does He do so by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? It's rhetorical. It's by the hearing with faith and then just as Abraham, and he quotes Genesis 15, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him or imputed to him as justification. Same word, dikaya sune. Either justification or righteousness. You're right before God. Then Paul draws his conclusion in verse 7. Therefore, Galatians, you are to know something. Know this. It is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And then he gives another scriptural argument by going back and quoting, he just quoted Genesis 15.6, now he's going to quote Genesis 12.1-3. And the scripture foreseeing, looks into the future, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, the Scripture preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations... Nations is the word for Gentiles, okay? All the nations will be blessed. And then he draws the conclusion in verse 9. So then... Those who are of faith are blessed. They inherit the blessing. They're blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul's main point in our passage, found in verse 7 and in verse 9, is anyone who lives by trusting in God, in His promises, in His revelation to them, is a child of of Abraham. And they are the ones who will inherit the blessing. Now, it's hard for us sitting in here this morning to get an appreciation for how shocking what Paul was saying was in the first century within context coming out of Judaism. It is utterly shocking. But it was no more shocking than the way Jesus taught. And this is why these two men were so hated by the works of the law, religious, physical descendants of Abraham, the Jews. I want you to notice, then, first of all, what he just said there. It's those who are of faith. Those are the descendants of Abraham. What are the implications of that? First, at least let's be clear, we get Paul right. He is saying 
that to be a child of Abraham and thus a child of the promise God made to him is not according to physical descent. But instead, whether you're physically descended from Abraham, whether you're a Jew or a non-Jew, you become a son of Abraham by virtue of saving faith in your heart towards God. That's his point. And if you jump down to the end of chapter 3 of Galatians, he makes it crystal clear. Start with verse 28, Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. In other words, this distinction that one's better than the other doesn't work here. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. It doesn't matter if you're a slave. It doesn't matter if you're a slave owner or you're free. There's no male or female. Nope, it's not better to be a male or better to be a female. No, no, no. For whatever you are, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, in other words, you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. Those are the heirs. Those are the descendants of Abraham. Not by your Jewishness or your Gentileness. Or your femaleness or your maleness. And in Romans 9, Paul is crystal clear when he writes, starting with verse 6, but it is not as though the Word of God has failed. For not all who are physically descended from Israel, Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Not all of them belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham just because they are his physical offspring. But instead, Genesis says, the children of the promise are counted as offspring. And the promise is gotten at only through faith. So Paul argues in our text, these truths were there in Genesis all along. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would, here it is, justify, make you right with God, save your soul. Foreseeing God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the Gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then it is those who are of faith who are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. So the first implication of what Paul is saying is to be a child of Abraham and thus a recipient of the promise made to him and the blessing that God gave and promised him. It is not according to physical heritage but spiritual heritage of being of faith. That's that's the point. How do you become that? Well, you become like Abraham. That's what our text says. Just as Abraham. He's the model. Just as Abraham, who, who was a person who trusted God. In John 8, we read this. They answered Jesus, Abraham is our father. 
And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Again, Jesus confirms physical Jewishness a descendant of Abraham is not meaning you are Abraham's child of the promise. You can be Jewish and not a child of Abraham. Do what Abraham did and you're a child of Abraham, Jew or non-Jew, which is he believed God. And thus it was imputed to him. That is God's righteousness, justification, forgiveness of sins. Remember I started 3,700 years ago. God encountered a sinner. He intervened in his life and He gave him a promise and he believed and he was saved from God's wrath. He was justified. It was imputed to him by means of his Heart coming alive to this God. Heart of faith. There is nothing in the world more important than making sure you're a child of Abraham. Because those are the ones who inherit the blessing of Abraham. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. And you are heirs according to promise. Now, now why is that so crucial to be an heir of Abraham to get the promise? The answer I'm going to show you is really clear. The promise at its core is the promise of justification. And the promise of the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit which will bring to you eternal life. That's it. That's why it's essential. I spent five weeks on justification. It's Paul's argument here. He saw he's he's going to justify non-Jews through Abraham. Why is that so important? Because justification is where God removes His wrath against sinners. And He replaces that not only with just a vacuum, but with the righteousness of Christ. He imputes it to them. In other words, let's just use the word now. He saves them. That's the promise God made. Through Abraham. That's Paul's point. It's by the hearing with faith just as Abraham believed God's promise. And it, his faith, and God imputed justification or righteousness to him. And in Genesis 12, God foresaw, and He put it right there in Genesis, He's going to justify non-Jews, the Gentiles, through Abraham. By faith. So the first part of the blessing is justification. And from the beginning, God's intention was always to justify, to save people.
from every nation, tribe, tongue, religious background. Secondly, the promise given to Abraham that those who are of faith inherit is they receive the promise of the Holy Spirit coming into them. Look down at verse 14 for a moment. Galatians 3. Paul says, So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing... Hear that? What's the blessing of Abraham? The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Why is that so important? So that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. That's it. Has the Holy Spirit blown upon your life? In the hearing of the message. Did you hear it with faith? It's Paul's words. Then he blew. And that's the promise God made to Abraham. And you have inherited it through faith. Remember what he said back in verse 2? Let me ask you only this, Galatians. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? No, no, no. You did it by the, the hearing faith. And in chapter 4, we saw last week, he says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Daddy. And Paul will wrap up this letter in verse 8 of chapter 6, saying, for the one who sows to his own sinful nature, it's how you walk, to your flesh, is that your pathway? They will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, are you a child of Abraham? Have you received the promise? Do you walk by the Spirit? Who sows to the Spirit, they will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So you walk. You continue in sanctification. You continue in the Christian life by a walk of faith that is by sowing to the Holy Spirit. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit. The destination of that? Eternal life. And so, the inheritance of being a child of Abraham is huge. It's justification. It's your salvation. It's being forgiven. It's having Christ's righteousness. And it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit which puts you on a new pathway of life. And the goal will always reach it will be eternal life instead of eternal perdition. Okay. And Paul lays out Abraham as our model. And he's simple. Abraham's, there's, it's simple. But you can't, sometimes we, oh, it's so simple we won't deal with it. You have to. Because we make things so complex. So what is it about Abraham? What sort of faith did he have that we are to have? Just as Abraham believed. So, as you turn back into Genesis, again, 
he comes on the scene. He mentioned, they mention his name in chapter 11 at the end just to give his family of origin and all that. And then, boom, chapter 12, God encounters him and he says, here's my promise. Just trust me, Abraham. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave the idol making. I want you to leave your homeland. And I want you to go to a place. I'm going to show you. You don't even know where you're going yet, but just trust me. And I'm going to bless you and bless everyone through you. There it is. And guess what Abraham did? He obeyed. Okay. Was Abraham justified? Yeah. Did Abraham have faith? Hmm. Well, I don't think he would have gone if he... God spoke, but I don't believe that stuff. I don't think he would have made this radical move. Just keep going that way and I'll let you know when you get there. I don't think he would have done that. Unless... Something about that sinner was changed. And he believed what God said, and so he went. Now, if that's not enough because of what I just said, the New Testament confirms it in Hebrews 11. The New Testament calls that act in chapter 12 of Genesis an act of faith in Abraham. Okay, now here's the question. Was he saved? Was he justified then? If you don't, let me just, this phrase, this, this clause, this sentence that, that, that Paul lays out, just as Abraham, here it is, who believed God and it was accounted or counted or reckoned or imputed to him as righteousness. That one, that's only used one time in Genesis. And it's in Genesis 15, 6, when he says it. So, Here's chapter 12. Abraham has faith and he goes. Ten years later, you come to chapter 15 of Genesis, verse 6. See the stars? That's your descendants from your loins. And then the text says, And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned as justification or righteousness. Was he justified then? What happened? Or was he already justified? Or 13 years after Genesis 15, you go to Genesis 17, okay, and he gets the promise, Sarah will have a son by this time next year, and Abraham laughs with a laugh of faith. He has faith. Was he justified then? Or you jump forward to chapter 22. Isaac is born. Isaac is a teenager. Go kill your son on an altar. And Abraham had so much faith, he walked and he was ready to do it. Okay. Here's the question. Because I'm going to try to, you're going to trust me, this is relevant to how we live in our lives. Are we, if Abraham is our model, justified? at the very first moment of the spring of faith in Christ? Or are we justified based upon a lifetime of faith? Now, to help you feel that question, I want you to turn to Romans 4. Because 
Paul, you feel the tension in that question, what do we do about this? How are we supposed to understand our Christian life and salvation related to how we walk every day? Now, he really at least causes me to feel it deeply. So, so again, remember, our text, Paul in Galatians 3, uses Genesis 15, 6, just as Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Okay, now, in Romans 4, he does it again. Verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? It says this in Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now stop. This is Paul's text to preach justification by faith alone concerning Jesus Christ. Okay? So it's really important to him. Okay. So, so far, the book of Genesis and Paul say that Abraham's faith in God's promise in Genesis 15, faith was the means of God counting Abraham righteous or justified. Okay, do you see that? That was ten years after Genesis 12 where Hebrews makes it clear he already came to faith. He was already trusting God's promises. Okay, then, stay there in Romans 4, then Paul goes on and he describes Abraham's faith 13 years after Genesis 15, 6. He... We know, by, we're going to read it, Paul clearly has Genesis 17 in mind. So pick up with verse 19 of Romans 4. He, Abraham, did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Now, this is how we know he's talking about Genesis 17. Since he was about 100 years old. He was 99. Or, <clears throat> so, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Okay, this is where God says she's going to have a baby next year. Verse 20, No unbelief, Paul says, made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but instead he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. Okay, are you following? Abraham believed God 23 years earlier and went to the land. 13 years earlier, he believed God about the stars of the heaven, trusted Him. Now, Next year your wife's going to have a baby and you're 99. And she's beyond childbearing years and she couldn't bear a child when she was in childbearing years. And he believed. And then Paul does what in verse 22? He reaches backward to Genesis 15.6 and he has no problem quoting it here, applying it to later in his life. That is why his faith was, quote, counted to him as righteousness. 
Now, to make the problem even worse, I am going to flip over to James. James, in chapter 2, verses 21 and 23, makes this stunning statement. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now he, James goes to chapter 22 of Genesis all these years later. And he says, Was not Abraham justified by works all these years later when he offered up Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with His works, and faith was completed by His works, and the Scripture was fulfilled that says, and he reaches back to Genesis 15.6, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So, what we have so far... Abraham, Genesis 12, God gives him a promise. He has faith and he obeys. Ten years later in chapter 15, he has faith in God's promise. In chapter 17, 13 years later, he has faith in God's promise. Chapter 22, what is it? Was Isaac 14 or 17? Whatever. Years later, he has faith. And the biblical writers have no problem saying, we just grabbed Genesis 15, 6, and this proves that Abraham's justified. Because by faith, the faith whether you see is faith here, 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 or here. A life of faith is the proof that Abraham was justified. What do we do with that? What do we make of it? Do we get justified more than once? I got justified and then non-justified. Remember, justification has to do with God's declaration. You are acquitted. You are forgiven. My righteousness is clothing you. You're protected. You are saved. You get unsaved and have to get justified. Again, so I preached five weeks on it to say no, 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 no. The whole biblical record as a whole will not bear that out. But you can sum it up in Romans 5.1. Having been past tense, with ongoing ramifications. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You don't get justified again and again. But, we look at Abraham as our model, and it's true of us believers today. We are justified at the very first spring of faith in the message, in hearing. Justification is not a process where you get more justified tomorrow than you were today. It's a one-time verdict, acquitted, accepted, and righteous. How'd you get that out? Oh, I'm not done. The only way I know to read the Bible now and you, you want to take all of, all of the evidence in the Bible and say, wait, what do we make of this? It's got to be saying essentially this. That that first spring of, I believe! I see it! What a wonderful message on this side of the cross about 
Jesus and the promises that He has given us through His life, His death, and His resurrection. That's mine. Okay. When that happens, when that's genuine, when that's real, then it's justifying faith. And if it is justifying faith, not some other kind of religiosity, but if it's justifying faith, then it is a faith of such a kind, it will do what Abraham did. It'll persevere. It'll persevere down the road. It won't be perfect and it won't be sinless. And Abraham, thank God he sinned after his first act of faith. But God will give him promises throughout his life over the next numbers of decades and he will be, you see, he's justified because you can see his faith. All of the, say it this way, when I came to faith in 1981... I didn't know what happened. I didn't know where the wind was coming from. And I, didn't even, I just saw the effects of what happened to me. In the reading of the Bible and the hearing of the Word, all the subsequent, meaning after that first moment of faith, all the subsequent faith that was to come, and I trust it's here today, it was all contained within that very first spring of faith. Or it wasn't justified faith. Like an acorn is an oak tree. You take an acorn, there's an oak tree in there. Plant it in the ground, you take care of it, there will be an oak tree. If it's just synthetic and it's made of metal and it kind of and it looks exactly like and painted like an acorn, it, there's no oak tree. The oak tree is contained in the acorn. Does that make any sense? Okay, I'm gonna just for a moment. We're gonna go to the 1700s language for a minute. This is how Jonathan Edwards says it: God, in the act of justification, which He declares at a sinner's first believing, God. And that faith has respect to perseverance. God sees all the perseverance in that faith and future acts of faith as being virtually implied in the first act of faith. And it is looked upon as if it were a property of that faith by which the sinner is then justified. Because by divine establishment, perseverance shall follow. Okay. This reality and understanding salvation is huge. It's huge for everyday life. For any of us who call ourselves children of Abraham, Believers in Christ. So I'm going to just try to restate it. Uh, I almost want to say street language, but it, I thought about it. This is so not street language, but just say it in different ways what I just said. When any of us hear the Gospel of Jesus and come to saving faith, the faith that God miraculously produces and unites us to Christ, that's it. We are united with Christ. We are 
changed at our desire level. In that very moment, Jesus' perfect humanity and obedience to the law is put to our account. And our sin, we realize, oh, it was put to His account on the cross. And God dealt with it. It's gone. No more barrier. We are at peace with God. We are justified at the moment any of us have come to saving faith. That's it. You don't accumulate pieces of justification down the road. Abraham got a little bit in chapter 12, a little bit more in chapter 15, a little bit more in 17, a little bit more in chapter 12. No. It doesn't work that way. But all at once, at that very moment, you can say it, and we do speak this way in evangelicalism, are you saved? That's a good term. Yeah, meaning, yes, I'm justified. I'm secured. Heaven is secured. At the very first moment of faith. That's the first implication. Secondly, implication from the biblical witness is this means if that's true of us God himself will make sure that we persevere in faith to the end he will never fail in making sure the justified persevere to the end not perfection, not perfect faith ever, not perfect obedience of faith through the life, but real direction-changing life. When faith came alive, we were put on a new direction. Never sinless, but a new path of trusting God's Word. That's Christianity. And God will save every last one of those justified people all the way to the end. Why? Because that justification at that first moment came by faith. The faith that new birth by God's hand produced. And thus, by nature, that faith, like an acorn, will persevere to the end. God will see to it. Christians will stray. We all sin. They may stray for moments. Sometimes they may stray for seasons. They may commit what, what Abraham did with Hagar, a work of the flesh. Paul will call it, of sin, but God will jerk them back on the path again and again and again because He's a loving Father. He disciplines every child whom He receives. What child is there without discipline? And you don't want to be a professing Christian who it's clear there's no discipline yanking you back. He'll do it. He'll bring us back again and again and persevere in His promises and commandments. And that last point is why we are to grow up into Christ and not be tossed to and fro by every wave and wind of doctrine, but to understand, I know I need to persevere. I know that, but I heard what you just said. 
I hear Philippians 1.6 and I'm sure of this, that He, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. It is there we place our real hope. As you wake up every day, He will see me through. You place it in the, in the biblical New Testament understanding of what's really happening in your salvation. For whom He foreknew, He did predestinate to become conformed to the image of His Son. And whom He predestined, He called. He ca- you called me to faith. I came alive. That's right. And whom He called, He justified by that faith. Absolutely. And if He justified you, Paul says, you will be glorified in the resurrection. No dropouts, period. You'll make it. That's where you place your foundational hope. So, having said that, I've watched people throughout Christianity the last couple of decades who believe what I just said there in the quote or what Paul said in Romans 8. And it's like, why do they draw unbiblical conclusions about how they live then? I don't get it. And I want you to do that. So here's the question. If it's true, if God grabbed you, called you, produced genuine saving faith just like Abraham, and thus you will not, not be saved in the end, You'll make it. What biblical conclusions from that glorious truth should follow? Should we have the Doris Day philosophy? Bob knows what I'm talking about. We're old enough. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. Whatever will be, will be. I'm good to go. Or, I'm safe. I'll be glorified. I got justified. I have faith. I know it. Therefore, I'm going to get glorified. I am safe. Let us eat, drink, be merry, steal, stop tithing, live in sexual immorality because really, in the end, I'll be glorified. I'm going to make it to heaven. No dropouts. No. 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 That's not Bible. That thinking and living may be the sign that you don't actually have justifying faith that God produces in all children of Abraham. See, the Bible draws the implication that the fact that we are justified by faith, which does by its nature persevere to the end, It means, here's the conclusion, we must, and and I quote Paul, fight the fight of faith and take hold of eternal life to which you have been called. It is unbiblical, it is wrong, and it is eternally dangerous to think that justification at my first act of faith, glorification is happening, and there's no necessary connection of a life of faith and obedience of faith in this Christian life that connects justification to glorification. 
through a life of faith of sanctification. Dangerous. Dangerous. Once you're actually justified, you're always justified for eternity. Once saved by God, you are always saved. That's absolutely true. If you understand that to include God will therefore be working sovereignly to keep you diligent to trust His commands, to trust His promises, and to take the warnings that are laid out just in the New Testament to church-going people like us. Seriously. Those are the signs. You're a person of faith like Abraham. The evidence of being eternally secure is your perseverance in faith. Through struggles, and crying, and pain, and depression, and loss, and heartache, and to the point where you think you're going to chuck it all, but you're drawn back through the hearing and the hearing, and the hearing, and God is underneath it all. Because justified people will never forsake Him ultimately. So, how I'm closing in the next four minutes, just want to read slowly, because children of Abraham, He's placed the Spirit of His own eternal Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, take His Word with blood earnest seriousness for their own happiness eternally. For instance, they realized that the Hebrew writer is writing to people just like us. Sunday morning we're in church. When they read, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. No, 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 no. But put yourself in the position to exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Why is that so important? Because of the next word. For. Meaning, because of this truth. It's true, professing Christian, we have Come to know or to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He didn't say you will become a sharer in Christ. He says you have become. It's perfect tense. It has happened with, with ramifications. And the proof of it is your perseverance. And if you really have been a sharer, you will persevere. 
But if you don't persevere, you're showing you were never a sharer. Or in Philippians 2, Paul writes, starting with verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, here's His command. Work. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay. Let me just... Fear what? Fear unbelief and hardness of heart in you. That's it. Fear it. Flee from it. Work it out. He's not done. Why? Hear the foundation. For or because it is God. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. He's the initiator, the sustainer, and the completer of the life of faith of Abraham and all His children. And so Paul closes this letter of Galatians, he said this way, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so, believer, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So believer, your life of faith today, today, I don't appeal to 1981. I appeal to the beginning of something, but what counts is today. Your life of faith today is the evidence you are in Christ. The evidence that you're a child of Abraham, an inheritor of the promise of justification, the life of the Holy Spirit in you, which is securing your eternal life. So Paul, Paul, give us your summary of this. Here's his summary. For I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I go on living in this mortal flesh. But the life that I go on living is the life of Christ in me. And so now, I live. Not one time in the past coming to faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up. Father, Your redemptive history, which is contained, all things considered, in a very tiny book, is wonderful to us. That saving us in Christ included calling Abraham and making a promise. Oh, Father, we thank You for the model of Abraham.
as we see reflections of us. For He also was a hell-bound sinner, is we. And yet You blew the wind of new birth, and He became a man of faith, as we, through the, through the hearing, and the hearing, and the hearing of the message of Christ. Oh, Father, we do place our trust that You who began a good work in us will complete it in the day of Christ. And that's why we will work out our salvation with fear and shame. That's why we will hate our sin. That's why we will hate our hardness. That's why we'll be desperate for Your Word. And that's why we'll be desperate to pray. And desperate to serve and be used and spent for others' sake. To the glory of Your name extended in the earth. Amen.